1: All right.
0: Believe it or not, that song was written for the end of my TEDx talk. Oh, really? The name of the song is called Vertigo. Six weeks before my TEDx talk, I had a major bout with vertigo. Oh, no. And it wiped out what's called the vestibular system. My right inner ear, the brain, had lost 86% capability. I I came home with a walker, and it, it wiped out my ability to walk and i'm laying in bed for a week and i'm thinking about my tedx talk and it's about the neuroscience of music and i'm laying there thinking okay i need to eat my own dog food in my talk i'm talking about brain science and music i, I gotta test this out because my, because my life depends on it at this point
1: hey it's david and you're listening to leadership without losing your soul your source for practical leadership inspiration tools and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show. If you can't tell already, this is going to be a fantastic interview. I have enjoyed my time immensely with our guests already. So let me ask you this. Who doesn't want work to feel a little more connected and dare I even say jazzier. So you might see where we're going with this conservatory trained (laughs) musician, CEO of the business consultancy, principles of execution and author of Workplace Jazz, How to Improvise, Nine Steps to Creating High-Performing, Agile Project Teams. Our guest today is Gerald Leonard, and he knows that employees want to bring their passion to work. The question is, how can you bring out the best from your employees by keying into artistic temperaments? The kind of teams we're talking about today are critical because they enable employees to work well under pressure, be less defensive, more open to feedback, and understand and support other team members. Gerald Jay Leonard, thank you and welcome. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, uh, Dave, for having me. I'm really excited about being here.
1: Yeah, oh, I'm. I'm. Uh, to I, I hate to say this, but I am jazzed that you're here. I really. Am. <laughs> I, I apologize to everybody for that one. I it just popped out of my mouth. It wasn't intentional. All right. <laughs> We're we're going to talk about jazz. We're going to talk about work teams, and and I tell you the when I saw the title of your book, Gerald, when it first came across my desk, one of the reasons it lit up my brain was because my wife and I, uh, our listeners know her, Karen Hurt, She's my uh, co-author, business partner, and uh, all of the work that that we do, and she's the first one that said when we were working together on stage one time and doing some training. She said, "I want to find the jazz." And, you know, that, that ability to play off of one another and the all the things that that you've described. So I know it's going to be a rich discussion. (laughs) So, you know, I am curious, uh, uh, before we dive into the jazz and and the the teamwork and everything else, if you could take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader, and what that might be.
0: Okay. Um, I can definitely say as a musician, when I was in college, you know, leading some bands or being involved in that way. Um, but honestly, I think some of the leadership skills that I developed, really good leadership skills I developed happen when I moved to New York. And um, I, I had the chance to study at um, through Manhattan School of Music with one of my teacher's teacher, a guy named David Walter who had passed away. Um, and I would go down to Juilliard and take lessons and doing a professional studies program with him. But I also did some ministry work and I led, you know, um, some small groups in in studies and things like that. Well, that group grew from like 10 people to 250 people. And I ended up spending some time full time being as as a, you know, being trained. But I think what I learned from that, there were so many lessons I learned from that. And it was about how to influence people, how to persuade people, how to listen and meet people where they were. And I was still playing music and doing all the other things I did as a musician. But I, I re- And I really had people who were training me who it wasn't so much about theology. It was more about really being an example of leadership and love and leading from the standpoint of being a servant and helping others and building family So when I decided to go back into music and now having a family, two kids, and I thought, you know, I really don't want to be on the road doing this, but I want to get back into music somehow. So I played a lot locally and I switched careers and got out of the ministry and I started doing IT work. And I took all of those, that training of how to care for people into my consultant, but I also took all of my upbringing as a musician of what that meant to me into that. So, and it's come full circle because both of my kids have found music in their lives and it's and, and music has come back into my life in a big way. And again, like I said at the beginning, it, it actually saved my life and yeah. allowed me to get back to where I can walk. So there's so much I learned from just hands-on mentoring and being mentored and coached and caring and um, taking what I love to do, to uh, to make a difference.
1: Mm. That uh, that confluence of influences, there's that magic that happens. I think for everybody when when we allow that intersection to really grow and and happen, and you get the influence of the music, you get your ministry leadership experience, you get your IT experience, and all of that together, what a magical combination that that creates.
0: Exactly, exactly. It it really did, and. And so when I started leading teams, especially, you know, I was a consultant, right? And as a consultant, and you, you know, you get, I, I I had already had my master's degree, so I wasn't interested in going back to college and getting another master's and something. And I, you know, started, once I got into the field, um, and it was amazing how much music prepared me for computers, because there's such similarity in the logic and the philosophy of the two instruments. But what was really interesting was that as I as I began to prepare and get involved with this, it allowed me to, to, to grow myself and grow my teams. And I realized that project management, program management, portfolio management, productivity type work was really my sweet spot. In other words, it was what I would wake up and love to do, even if I didn't get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to move a team and doing that, you have to learn to influence without authority because I'm not controlling anyone's paycheck because I'm the consultant, but I still got to get the job done. So I had to take all of the ministry and music experience of leading a band of musicians or leading a group and bring that into my business and into project management and leading teams and learning how to get the team to hold the team accountable or the individuals accountable. So it wasn't just me, it was learning how to use the group to do that. But then also realized that what motivated me more than anything else was having leaders who were examples. And one lesson I learned early on in that growth of the 10 to 250, and that was a a big life lesson for me, is that after it got to 250, it outgrew me. I wasn't big enough to lead a a spiritual group of 250 because I hadn't, even though I was being trained, I wasn't, I didn't have all the skills the capacity yet the capacity exactly and that it was there was some pain in that uh because i really wanted to do it but there was also the reality of okay let's you know just let's deal with reality but what i what it put in me was a conviction that whatever i do moving forward i have to stay i have to grow myself ahead of what it's going to become
1: you have to develop the skills and capacity before the, the rest is going to come with it. It's exactly
0: not so if I'm gonna so if I'm in a company that is beginning to go on a trajectory of extreme growth, like right now, my consulting business has been uh, had an investment and I have you know a really cool client, MasterCard. I have another major client, uh uh Department of Transportation. We're looking at some other major Fortune 500 companies, and you know, the, the growth has been like a hockey stick. And even now, I'm taking training classes, I'm getting coached, I'm getting mentored, you know, because I realize what's 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 coming. And that if I'm not continually growing myself and leading by example, that way, then it's going to outgrow me.
1: Uh, and they, so those they, are
0: some critical things I've learned about leadership. And it's really to, to, to model the example that you want others to follow.
1: It's not about Getting ready, it's about being ready.
0: Exactly, it's about be do have.
1: Hmm. You know, you one of the principles that you just stated that I want to go back to that I think is really important is that you were talking in terms of the, the, the ministry leadership or the musician leadership and that element of human interaction that you didn't have any power, you didn't have anybody's paycheck. And the word we use is control, right? I can't control these folks and tell them what to do. And the reality is, neither can anybody. <laughs> Ultimately, and it's one of my favorite leadership principles. And I think when it comes to human-centered leadership, everyone is a volunteer. Everyone has a choice. It doesn't right. matter if they're if, if I sign their paycheck or not. They got right. a choice about what they do today.
0: Exactly. They it's can the turn around.
1: And, yeah, they can walk out the door right now. That's their choice. Right. They, they always have that choice. So it's like from that perspective, I can see why it's so valuable because everyone's a volunteer. So influence, ultimately, that's what you have. And and what you were talking about, bringing the team together and making the team self-accountable. That's good stuff.
0: Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, is that the 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 teams had to have a vision of something that was much bigger than themselves that they could then buy into and fall in love with. And I think that you know, love is not a word we use in business a lot, right? We don't talk about I'm going to work because I love what I do. I mean, some people do, but you know, it's not, we don't always use those words. But but quite honestly, we spend so much of our life doing this work, doing work of being productive, and it become it 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 um molds us in who we become as as people that I think we have to, you know, from a human-centric standpoint, use words like. You know, emotional words are, are words like love, because honestly, I love what I get to do and where my life has brought me. With all of the ups and downs and with with the challenge of the vertigo and having to learn how to walk again, the things I learn going through that journey, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't go back and trade it. I wouldn't go back and go. I wouldn't want that to happen to me. Yeah, because what I've become and who I'm becoming um, and and what I'm able to do and what i'm what I'm learning, i enjoy so much more now because I appreciate it, I'm grateful for it. but I see the power in um, my frailty, if you will. and that but that my example or my and my constraints or limitations doesn't have to constrain me if i, set the example and, and be a model of uh, for of humanity and reaching out and making a difference and caring for people um that 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 are in my purview that I'm getting to lead in some and our influence are inspired in Absolutely. a lot of ways so it's, it so it re- does require building a vision of what is possible and a vision that is that's compelling that when people hear it they 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 read it they sense it they go, wow, I want to, I'm, I'm interested in that. I want to, I, I want to join that, you know, because again, it's all voluntary.
1: And I, I mean, love the the language that you use, you know, that people, they, they get a hold of it and they're like, they fall in love with it. That, that's exactly. That, it's that meaningful that the people we're working with, they're meaningful. And, you know, we can use a capital L love or a lowercase L love, but yeah, I want to love my team. And with that lowercase L and, and absolutely, I got no problem with that human centered leadership, right? Exactly. That's, that's what it's all about. Well, let's get into this. This what it means to have a a workplace jazz environment. What does a jazz team look like? And I gotta I gotta give you a, a for my daughter's sake. So she lives in Guatemala now, but she's a huge YouTube fan. And you open the book. The first quote in the book, "What can music teach us?" is from Bono, frontman for YouTube. So music can change the world because it can change people. So I thought that was a fun epigraph to start with. All right. So what are we talking about? Jazz, environment, teams, workplace jazz. Let's just define terms. When you talk about a, a team that has that composition, that feel, that culture, what are we
0: talking about? You're talking about a team of, of experts that have come together to fulfill the vision of a, of a much bigger goal than any any individual one could, could do. And they're willing to subject their skills, their egos to the greater vision of of that goal and, and really support, listen, get in tune with each other, be in harmony with each other, be in rhythm with each other, be in sync with each other to a point where not only is the goal accomplished, but everyone walks away feeling transformed from the goal. Because if you think about, it, you go to a really good concert. Do you walk out going, oh, that was really good," you know? Check the box. I mean, or do you walk home kind of singing and and you're like, "Oh, you know, man, did you did you hear that song?" Or there's you know there's there's part of the concert where the, the they're they're playing a song whether it's a vocalist or an instrumentalist, and there's this teardrops or you remember a childhood experience. They take you on a journey. They take you somewhere emotionally, and you walk out different. I mean, if you go into a supper club and you're having dinner and you listen to a band and you you felt crappy coming in and you felt crappy going out, then that was a bad experience. (laughs) That was a really bad experience. But more than likely, you're gonna feel great because you had a great time at the table, but the music is gonna transcend the environment and take you to a place that whatever problems you had when you walked in, You don't even remember them walking out so
1: that is a high bar to set for for team chemistry coherence collaboration composition whatever words we want to use that it's that group of experts coming together creating a transformative experience playing off of one another to do something that's bigger than themselves
0: exactly exactly and you know honestly here's how i came up with this is, like I said, I, you know, I went through this transition and, I, you know, um, ministry the, to uh, music and then, you know, not wanting to travel and uh, I'll be on the road and be there, be there consistently for my children. And it was playing professionally locally on the weekend, sometimes during the week, you know, classical jazz, whatever gigs were coming around, uh, teaching lessons here and there, and then going out and consulting. And I started noticing that if there was a team where the project was really cooking, like doing well, the sponsor was engaged, you know, with executive, you know, he was just there. He was he was at the kickoff meeting, he was at the critical meetings, he was he was using his influence to move obstacles. He was just there. The members of the organization were were in tune. We we actually became friends. Uh, the, the the members of the technical team are the team that's there on the ground. Um, again, everyone's an expert, but they go, okay, what's the bigger picture? It's almost like, again, playing jazz. Hey, it's it's, it's the business analyst time to get all the requirements. We're going to do everything we can do to support that person doing that. What do you need? And then it's the developer's time to write the code. Okay, what do you need? You're, you're soloing now. Let's all get around him. And now we're going to test. And so let's all support that person. Now we're gonna make sure the, user, the users are happy and not that they just get a solution, but it's a solution that meets their culture and their needs and their environment and that they can adopt and that they're gonna accept. Again, you know, we don't want a performance where you walk in crappy and you walk out crappy. We want a performance where you walk in and it's like, oh, it's not what we want, but you walk out, you're transformed. Like we have transformed this organization, not just because we gave them some technology, but we considered, who they are, their culture, how it makes them feel their process and so on in a way that they go this was fun.
1: it changes things and I think that the the extension and you're talking about it specifically from those consultative projects exactly. that you were you were running and part of and that's the same for every leader for whatever as you're listening to the to the show today, whatever team you're leading, and bringing together to achieve this level of, of workplace jazz, the goal is a transformative experience for someone, for the members right. of the team, for the customers, either external customers, internal customers, whoever it is that you're serving, there's a difference we're trying to make. again, exactly. And to be aware of that and, and the bringing together of that. You know, Gerald, as, as, as I'm reading the book and mm-hmm. I'm thinking back, I am only, familiarly related to one jazz musician my brother-in-law my sister's husband Jesse Jesse if you're listening shout out uh, jazz trombonist uh, lives in Colorado's been a member of like the Colorado big band and, and so forth and it is just amazing to watch uh, you and jazz musicians do their thing and uh, been to you know uh, New Orleans and watch the different groups there and just all right. the different and what is um what blows my mind is the level of skill the level of musical mastery that it seems to require and i'm saying this as somebody who i can barely play four chords on a guitar and that's about what i got right so the the musical mastery to just hear what's going on and then yeah all right i can get in this and so when you talked about subject matter experts people coming together they're like you're a
0: master of your craft
1: on some level to really achieve real jazz
0: right and so 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 here's an example of it. a couple a couple examples. so from for me personally, when I first picked up music, you know, I was like yourself, like you said, you know, a couple of chords. I was it was my sister's guitar. <laughs> and I would like go in, I would go and like uh, sneak and play it. and then she she found me and realized that she wasn't gonna play it, so she let me have it. you know, <laughs> And I would always say in more ways than one, she let me have the guitar, but she let me have it for taking her guitar. But I fell in love with playing. And then I, and I, and I joined a band with some friends, and one, one of them was a really good guitar player. And so I became the bass player, right? That's what happens. It's like, okay, can't replace that guy. He's way too far along. But in the process of becoming the bassist, I had to learn the structure of a song, everything about what was going on, who was doing what. And then I realized that on my own is only so far I could go. And so... You know, as a kid, I went and got a part-time job, bought my first base. You know, I was the youngest of six, grew up in Florida. Parents didn't have the money for just like laying out all this. So I went and bought my own bit. And then I went back to work and made money, found a teacher, and started taking lessons. Now, mom would pick me up and take me to lessons, but I was paying for it. Mm. The, the lesson I learned was if you want to grow you have to be the person to come out of your own pocket and invest in yourself. Mm. So when I got into computers like I said it was another instrument for me. I read every book because I, because before 1980, 1995, I couldn't tell you how to cut on a computer. Honestly. Cuz I didn't I didn't study them. I didn't use it in college. it wasn't that time where was a lot of computer music but within months because of just my musical training and what I knew about learning a skill, I had read every book I could get my hands on. I started with the dummy books, PCs yep. for Dummies, How to Upgrade Your PCs for Dummies, Hardware for Dummies. I mean, and then once I read those, I had enough knowledge to then get the thicker books, and they all made sense to me. And then kind of, I went through those. And then I started going to webinars and then I started going to seminars and then I started doing online classes. Then I joined associations and then I became the president of an association. And I just kept the mindset of, I'm going to study and read everything about this particular instrument and skill, the hardware, Mac addresses, the IP, you know, how to write code, how to, how does the internet work? Just every single aspect of it to then be able to step back and go, oh, I can now implement enterprise solutions at the National Archives that has a data warehouse and a and a, a data model and OLAP Cube and, and and multi-dimensional processes and understand all of what that means.
1: Okay, now you're just making up words.
0: <laughs> but understand all of what that means and still be able to then break it down to just English for yep. my end user, because because again, you know. I don't go and talk about scales and and, and Phrygian and Mellidian and, and all the different Locrian note and all the different scale. You don't do that in a performance. You just talk about music. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so in a lot of ways, it became the same thing. You learn all of the technical stuff for yourself so you understand what's going on. But then when you meet with your audience... It's just simply we're playing we're playing notes we're playing Mozart we're playing Bach we're playing John Coltrane we're playing Charlie Parker or we're playing you know whoever else we're playing and you keep it you keep it in layman's terms.
1: What is as as you're talking about that level that depth of knowledge that depth of expertise and when teams are coming together when when people are coming together to create that thing that's bigger than them and as a leader you're trying to help that to happen one of the things that that you talk about in the book is is deliberate practice. So obviously, yeah. musicians, deliberate practice, what you were describing and your own learning of computers and, and all the rest, deliberate practice. Right. I, I know for myself, it was when I first started becoming a manager, it was the same process. I went to the library, checked out every book I could find on management. Yes, leadership for dummies, You know the whole thing, <laughs> <clears throat> building up to eventually finding the Peter Drucker and and all the rest of it. And then, if you know, someday writing your own books, right? It's that, 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 that growth process. What does the, and you talk a lot about neuroscience, and I think it's important for every leader to have some understanding of how human brains work, because it's going to make you a better leader. So I'm curious if you could unpack a little bit, walk us through some of what you've learned about the neuroscience that goes into, whether it's deliberate practice, team chemistry, all of those elements.
0: Yeah, so what was really interesting because I learned a lot as I was writing the book and researching some of the concepts and taking a deeper dive into the different aspects of neuroscience. And the neuroscience for me came into, um, I read a book called Conversational Intelligence by a lady named Judith Glazer. And then I looked up online, saw that she had a program and workshop and so on. So I studied with her for two years and uh, and sad to say um, a couple of years ago, she passed away um, from cancer. But in the process, I got certified in in this concept of neuroscience and conversational intelligence. And what it means to me with neuroscience and why it's important is that once we understand how our brains are what we call uh, plasticity or plastic, in other words, they're moldable, Mm -hmm. right? and that we can continually learn, irregardless of how old we are or, or, or where we are in the station of life, we can continually develop and learn. And that you know the, the, the idea of repetition and practice, how it impacts your brain and how the brain encodes. And, and when you have the mindset of deliberate practice, the brain literally begins to kind of shut down any distractions so that you then focus on what you're working on and the the neurons around or in, in, our, in our brains, each of the neurons of the area that we're working on, let's say for a musician or for myself with my, with my left hand, there are more what's called myelin wrapped around the neurons that control my left hand than my right hand. Because I use my left hand like this and I know exactly where to place it and so on. And it's like a cab driver in London or in New York there's more myelin, which is a chemical, a, neuro, a, a neurological chemical that allows the brain to run faster, smoother, process faster. It makes it's like oil to the brain, right? And so by understanding that, hey, if I'm studying something and I'm deliberately focused on learning something, I am coding my brain for that area with myelin, which is going to make it more efficient, more effective. So now, um it becomes almost automatic. And it gets to the point where it's like, you know, we do it with driving all the time. I mean, how many times have you driven home from the office and you drove into the driveway and you go, How did I get here? <laughs> yep. <laughs> because you're because literally your subconscious and non-conscious mind took over because you've done it so many times that it's like now just. It's just in your DNA how to get home and how to drive. That now you can then your higher brain can go think about something else, and you can do this. It's like asking a squirrel, you know, how did you run across that wire so fast? It's, I just do it. But it's 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 the practice of it. And so when a musician is playing or working, it's it's all those all that practice and all that myelin and all that buildup of the of the neurological network that gets to the point where you're no longer thinking, okay, is that an A or a B or is that a C? I'm gonna put my thumb here. It's just automatic. You
1: hear it. You
0: hear it, you hear it and you know, and, and, and your body encapsulates it. Oh. And, and and so you think about it from a, you can think about it from a musical standpoint, but you can also think about it from a business standpoint, developers or, you know, any technical skill or, or, or writing, you know, becoming a really good writer. Um, you can develop that into a skill that you uh, embrace and learn unconsciously. Absolutely. Right? So then when you go into a project, if I've learned to play the basically the way I can play it, if I'm going to a concert to play a concert, I'm no longer concerned about can I play that line. I'm more concerned about what's the intent of the movement what are we trying to convey to the audience? Who's, you know, is it, is it a vocalist with a light voice? Is it a, is it a bassoon? Is it a, is it a trumpeter that is needs power behind him? Is it a guitar screaming? I mean, all of that will determine what I do and it could be the same G note, yeah. but I may play it totally different depending on who's in front of me and what, what the composition of the group is.
1: And the analogy that that you're making there, I'm just thinking of it from uh, the perspective of saying so, you know, we got leaders and managers listening, and this all everything that you just described applies to all of our leadership and management skills too. Yes. So the ability to intentionally practice, let's say, difficult conversations, accountability conversations that are human centered and results focused. Yes. That are uh, the scheduling, the finish, and checking for understanding. All those communication tools that really good leaders master and do almost as a matter of physical, as you were saying, like, that's embodied, it's it's a physicality, it's muscle memory, I don't have to think about it, I check for understanding, I I schedule a finish, I'm clarifying where we're going, what are we doing, I'm making sure that we're all on the same page, like without thinking about it, so that then, and I love the metaphor, what is the performance we're trying to achieve here? So am I in the part of working with the team where we need to be really getting creative and focusing on generating some ideas and potential solutions? Or am I on the part of this team right now where we need to be moving to implementation and have some some fairly good schedules in order to get things happen? Or am I in the part of this engagement where we had a good plan, and it just blew up. And now it's time to regroup, you know, and each of those, are we using communication skills? Are we having tough conversations? Sure. But the presentation,
0: The performance we're trying to achieve, to use your metaphor, is different. Exactly. And here's the other part of this. What I got from conversational intelligence in the neuroscience is that any team working virtually or co-located, we're in the same room. Within 0.07 seconds, they know your intent Mm. without you saying a word, because our brains communicate chemically. To each other, unbeknownst to us. So it's kind of like, you know, you pick up the phone and you hear the person's voice. And you're like, okay, this is going to be a bad conversation, <laughs> you know, you know, this is not going to go well. And the conversation hasn't even got started, but you already you already got that feeling in your gut, and we all have have had those. Well, why is that? Because it, it's it's a I can't say mystical. It is a just a neurological way that our brains communicate and it's so so incredibly powerful that even virtually our communication right now is impacting each other mm-hmm. you know if if the conversation starts going south our our bodies uh, and our brains produce cortisol and adrenaline you've there's there's a tension in the room uh, it gets uncomfortable and it's like this the things are going south But if it's great and it's fun, it's it's like you know, wow, this is awesome. Then our brains are producing oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, and every emotional experience you have or we have as people is a neurological chemical reaction.
1: And I I just got to tell you, I definitely got some oxytocin and some uh, dopamine earlier when we were getting (laughs) (laughs) musical, and that was that was doing it. Listen, we are we are talking with. Our guest today is Gerald J. Leonard. Uh, he's a TEDx speaker, CEO of Principles of Execution, author of Workplace Jazz, How to Im- Improvise. And, and w- w- in this conversation, we've been talking about building teams that achieve jazz together. And there's so much in your book that uh, you call out about some of these things. And, and you have a whole system, and we're not gonna go through the whole system, yeah. but you used the word improvise to, Uh, And each of those letters stands for a part of the system, improving, measure, positive, reward, open, visualized, inspired, support. So I encourage uh, listeners, you want to get the book, you want to go through this because there's so much in here for you. I just want to highlight in the time that we have um, two elements. Before I do that, though, uh, Gerald, can you tell us where to connect with you, uh, where to find out more about your work, uh, where to find the book?
0: Yeah, uh, so you can go to my website, Gerald J. Leonard. Dot .com and all of all of the other websites that I'm connected to or have you can get from there uh, another project I have is Productivity uh, productivityintelligenceinstitute.com and you can always look me up on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And uh, again it's Gerald J Leonard and you'll see, you know, a banner with Workplace Jazz behind me and the company's uh presentation and, and really we're doing business now as Turnberry Premier because I had an investment in my company. And uh, which has been a blessing to to have a, a really cool team of folks that I've known for 20 years, working that I'm getting to work with, and we're doing some great things in the fintech space and some other places with with um, the transportation industry, legal, and so on. So,
1: fantastic! Encourage you to to connect with Gerald and uh, and take a look at the book. Let's dive into uh, the the two topics I want to take a look at in the time we have left, Gerald. Uh, The the first is uh, in the chapter about moving from risk to reward, uh, the epigraph again, you start out with this quote from Miles Davis, when you hit a wrong note, it's the next note that makes it good or bad. Exactly. All right. Walk us through how that applies to teamwork and working together.
0: Exactly. So risk to reward is when, you know, when you take a risk, you're you're basically you're 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 taking a deep breath and you are analyzing the risks that are out there. And, you know, you want to do risk management from the standpoint of you don't want bad things to happen, but you can also take a you can also do risk management from a positive standpoint of we're going to take a risk and do something that's going to bring a great result. But we also need to be prepared for that. But anytime you take a risk or deal with risk, there will be bad notes. But here's the thing. Professionals, professional musicians hit bad notes, especially jazz musicians, may hit a bad note at any time. And what they will do is they'll hit that bad note and they'll go, okay, the next note up is a good note. So I'm going to go to that good note. Then I'm going to come back to the bad note and I'm going to go back to the good note. And we come back to the bad note again. And pretty soon you're thinking, that's really cool. He's hitting these notes that are kind of creating this tension. And then he's resolving them. He's creating this tension and he's resolving them. And pretty soon you get used to hearing the bad note. And you don't know if it was a bad note or a mistake or just this guy trying to take the music to another place that, you know, you hadn't thought it should go. But it's all about how you handle it. So so the so the idea of that quote was it's not about the bad note you may hit it's about how do you handle it and that risk to reward is about being willing to take a risk and it's kind of like I love the saying from um his name escapes me. He's the, coach, he's the head football coach of the Buccaneers now with, with Tom when they run the Super Bowl. And he says, no risk it, no biscuit. No risk it, no biscuit. <laughs> no it, no biscuit. <laughs> but but you have to take risk and you have to manage risk, but you have to realize that some things will go wrong. on a, you know In a concert, on a project, there will be, it, but it's all about how, as a professional, you handle it. So and, as, a,
1: as a leader, we got to be creating that space for our people, don't
0: we? Exactly. And people need to feel, and here's the thing, people need to feel comfortable knowing that they can take a risk within reason and, 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 and be okay. That, that if someone you know makes a mistake because they were trying to improve things or, or do something better, not to just be malicious. Now, that's a different story, right? If they're just being malicious then, or they're being you know, they're, they're nefarious. But if they're taking a risk to move the ball forward and move the team forward and it turns into a mistake, okay, well, let's, we're all, again, we're all going to support. We're all going to be there for each other. We're going to create this dynamic that we're all going to work on this together and move forward. And any great musician, any great leader, any great team member um, has been able to do that they've been able to do that. They've been able to kind of move things forward. They've been able to um, keep things going.
1: Now, along those lines, one of the principles that you talk about, and I think this is a good segue when you're talking about supporting people in the taking of risks and healthy uh, movement forward. You talk about the principle of surrendering to support. Yes. And for me, I felt like so much of the the message that you're sharing this is this is critical. This is the crux of of jazz, literally from a musicianship standpoint. But then workplace jazz and leadership, I, I just thought this was such an important principle: surrender to support.
0: Yeah. So, so the story I tell about that one is a gentleman that I that I met at a bass boot camp. I had, I had no idea who he was at first, and he got up and you know, kind of demonstrated some things in his bass playing. I looked him up, got to know him really well. I was living in Maryland at the time and found out that he lived in Maryland. Went and saw him in a couple of, of local uh, spots that he played with, with his band. He was the, um, when he left college from Berkeley College of Music, he became the music director of, Back, I think it was the Backstreet Boys, oh, okay. uh, and toured with them for a while. And, um, and led them from a musical standpoint and, um, and he's always been like a freelancer um just playing bass for like like anyone that's anyone in the jazz scene gerald albright dave cause um, um peter white all of them hired this guy and i included i gave him a copy of my first book which is called cultures the base and then i i included him in the second book because i watched the video of him Receive the um, he was inducted into the Jazz Hall of Fame up in Detroit. He was the music director and and composer and bassist for Pieces of a Dream, the Jazz Group. His name is David Dyson. David wrote the song. He's being his band is being inducted. They're playing this slamming, this amazing jazz piece. He never takes a solo. Hit the entire time, he's he's like playing, he's just playing background. The guitar player is playing solo, the, the, the piano player, the horn player, everybody else is being glorified. He's the main guy. He wrote the song. He's the music director. But he's just sitting back playing bass. And what I realized and what I found out about him was that that's the reason he's, he's one of the most in-demand modern jazz basses of our day. We're connected on LinkedIn. We became friends. And it was because his mindset was, my job as the bass player is to make everybody else look good. And if you think about it, that that really is the job of the leader, is to position everyone on the team to look good, to sound good. If you want to take it outside and, and and play aggressive, then I'm going to be right there with you and I'm going to provide a baseline and a rhythm that's going to support that. If you want to pull back and get quiet, then I'm going to keep the rhythm going, but I'm going to pull back so you can be heard. My job is to keep things moving and to make you look good. And so to me, that is probably one of the most important chapters in the book because it, it, it basically epitomizes the heart of a servant leader. And uh, I recently wrote an article or I had an article put together around agile leadership and servant leader. And, and you, know, you have the traditional kind of leader, you know, whether, whether it's micromanaging or whatever, but it, but it really boils down to being a supportive leader and someone who's going to model, coach, and care about his people and move them forward and be that glue. And that's what he is for pieces of a dream. And that's why I use him in that example.
1: I'm wondering, as you're talking about this principle of surrendering to support, what does the surrender part, I get what you're saying about the support part. Yeah. And I'm wondering about from a leadership perspective, when we're talking about supporting our people, uh, what does
0: the surrender part look like in practice? Right. So I'll go back to that example. Here's a gentleman who has the talent and the skill to be the leader, not only just of the, as a director, a composer, but he has this, the, the musical chops to be the person playing the melody. Just he has the musical chops to be a, a, a Marcus Miller or, or Stanley Clark, someone he who's can do, out. Front, can do any of it? Just do just do all of it. But instead, he's focused on the music. And he's focused on, well, the intent of this song is for this or that. And it doesn't require the bass player to be doing that. It requires, so, so the idea of surrender means it's, it's kind of like a stallion. You know, I can get in and run the Kentucky Derby or I can, I can give your daughter a ride. And it's like putting your daughter on a stallion. Well, it has the ability to do some amazing things, but it's going to surrender its power and be gentle enough to give your daughter a ride. Hmm. And so, when I think when I talk about the word surrender, it, it's not a word of weakness. It is. It's actually a word of strength that you are surrendering all of that you're bringing to the table to to lead in such a way to make others look good. And that when it's successful, it's not that you did it. It's that we did it. When it fails, it's that was my fault because I didn't. I didn't. I didn't cover all the bases. Or I didn't make everything work or whatever. But it's always when we're successful, it's we did it.
1: It's having the strength to put others forward, to yes, to to put them in those positions. Yes, you could do it. That's not the point. The point is you're building something bigger than yourself. Exactly. So how do you put people forward? How do you bring their voice into the conversations where maybe you've been asked for your voice, but if you have somebody on your team, how can you get their voice involved? Right. Right how can you have the strength to take responsibility when things don't go well, like you said, right? All right. So much more we can get into. And we are out of time. So Gerald, I want to give you just you know 30 seconds. If you have one last piece of advice for leaders who are thinking about, gosh, I want this jazz, I, I want my people flowing and playing off of each other and focused on the transformative effect we are having on the world outside of our team. If we had one more piece of wisdom for everybody listening what would that be i would definitely say
0: you know get the book <laughs> but but more importantly um it, it really starts off with the foundational skill which is deliberate practice and improvement um you set the pace you set the tone as a leader and so you just like a, just like with good musicians they're constantly woodshedding or practicing and deliberately practicing to get better Even what I love about being a musician is that even the greatest musicians that ever lived up to the time that they passed away were trying to get better. They practiced. They always had something they were trying to get better at and which meant that life had purpose. Life had a meaning. There was something that was going for. And I would say, if you want to lead, lead from a position of being a model and then coach your people but also then really care for your people, and by you leading the way, coaching and caring, you're gonna pull. You're gonna pull your team influ- through influence and aspiration um, in a way that you could never do through uh, control.
1: All right, we're talking with Gerald Leonard, the author of Workplace Jazz: How to Improvise and Build Those Agile, Improvisational teams that can do it all. Gerald, thank you so much for being a guest on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. We really appreciate you.
0: No problem, Dave. I really appreciate it and really enjoy my time. Oh,
1: and so have I. So have I. So listeners, find your place of deliberate practice. Model the way. Be coaching your folks. Surrender to support and be the leader you'd want your boss to be.